1: And welcome to this week's episode of Bass Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA, kind of, but not really, but kind of. I'm your host, Fernanda Prates, and today I'll start us off with some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that we have yet to be shaken away from this collective fever dream and therefore remain trapped in our skin prisons as we witness the demise, physical and otherwise, of everything we hold dear. Also, tie-dye is still a thing. The good news, though, is that while I cannot liberate your aching souls and eyes, I can offer some comfort to your ears. Instead of monopolizing them for 20 minutes, today I'm sharing this humble podcast slash cry for help with a guest. And it's not just any guest. It's a smart, kind, pleasant, resourceful, extremely successful, and hardworking guest who knows MMA inside and out. So basically the anti-me. Her name is Evelyn Rodrigues, and if you don't know her, it's because you are unsophisticated and uncultured. Or, maybe, it's because her work is mostly directed toward Brazilian audiences and you don't speak Portuguese. Either way, we're going to fix that today. Evelyn is seriously one of the most competent journalists I've ever met. A Brazilian-born Las Vegas resident, she's been involved in MMA for almost 10 years and has worn basically every hat in the industry. Right now, she's the news correspondent for TV Globo, aka Brazil's biggest network channel, and does everything from live interviews during UFC broadcasts to special features and breaking news. And if that sounds frankly exhausting, wait, there is more. Evelyn is also a photographer, a producer, and just a ridiculously nice person whom everyone loves. And she has a really cute dog. I know, unfair, but some people are just that good. Luckily, Evelyn agreed to spread her light in an episode that, like her, has a little bit of everything, even some MMA. What is different about Habib Nurmagomedov's retirement? What legacy is Anderson Silva leaving behind in Brazil? Being a woman in MMA, how does that work? Being a Brazilian woman in MMA, how does that work? We attempt to answer all of that and more in the next hour or so. Will we succeed? Probably not, but you've gotten this far. What else are you going to do? Watch The Haunting of blind Manor? Why? Do you hate your youth? Stick around, give us a shot. At least we don't go on for a full season. If not for me, do it for Evelyn and her really cute dog. Those of you who followed me all the way from uh, well, actually, probably know that I am very bad at presenting guests and those of you who are just coming in, you were bound to find out eventually. So I'm just going to save us all the embarrassment of an elaborate attempt and just greet my guest in a boring, normal person way. (laughs) Hi, Evelyn. Welcome to best camp of my life. Hi, Faye. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. well, for those of you who don't know, we're both Brazilians, and we're talking in English, so that's weird. So <laughs> it's always a strange experience. Um, I'm sorry for our accents too. Oh God, no! They'll, they'll have to get over the. Ac- we'll get to that. To the people <laughs> who complain about the accents, but. I guess first off, um, I want to thank you for ta- taking the time during what I know is a super busy week for you. Uh, I touched on this on the intro, but I'm just always in awe of the amount of stuff that this woman does in a single week. You do so much that I am always feeling bad about myself. And as the generous host that I am, I want to spread this warm, fuzzy feeling of inadequacy to my listeners. Uh, so before we get into it, like, can you please just tell us what a normal fight week look like looks like for you, especially a fight week like this, where we have uh, a pretty big fight with Anderson Silva.
0: Faye, this week is worse because, <laughs> you know, since the pandemic started... I'm by myself, you know, uh, sometimes, like before, and they used to send people to help me mm-hmm. in the big fights, and uh, in this case, it's just myself, so I am, we call, like, one-woman show, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm my own editor, my own camera, uh, I'm the reporter on camera, uh, so I'm doing uh, an incredible amount of like stories this week you know we started with a special last week with an exclusive interview with Anderson Silva and this week I have a bunch of interviews every day and pieces that we are putting together every day so I can't even tell you how many stories I'm doing a day right now
1: <laughs> yeah you mentioned the the things you are doing for the Anderson Silva special like um, again as I mentioned in the intro Evelyn works for our biggest uh, network channel in Brazil and it's affiliates global and uh, there's several specials and there was a big exclusive with him coming out but not just that right like I saw you talk to George St-Pierre you talked to you just mentioned talking to Stefan Bonner like can you even how many interviews did you even have to do for this thing
0: well i put it up like a folder to add there because like we had very uh, various uh specials in the different ways you know one is like fighters talking about the best moments with anderson fighters remembering their fights with anderson mm-hmm. and then we have anderson and then his family you know <laughs> and then uh we have also uh, other people in the sport like bruce buffer the nly other people that actually had time with spend time with anderson talking about him and
1: people from his team so i don't know right now exactly
0: <laughs> how many interviews i did
1: <laughs> but all of this but, you're producing interviewing uh, shooting like you do all of it
0: yes uh only for anderson that i had a crew of two people helping me my husband was one of the the guys who are who was helping me with the audio and also camera and i had a, a camera guy in la too because i had to hire a studio to, act- to actually do the hologram you know we did, like, a hologram with Anderson live in the studio, and he was talking to two hosts in Brazil in, like, our main... It's, it's like, the 60 Minutes here in America, uh, so it's called Fantastico in Brazil. But other than that, all the interviews, I did, like, this probably an hour interview with Anderson, who was break into, like, different pieces, and it's going to air in every TV show, because I don't know if people are familiar with, but, like, TV Globo is, like, you know... Um, is composed by other TVs as well like we have one main channel a cable channel that is just for sports and one cable channel that is just for martial arts so this 45 minutes one hour interview is going to be all over and <laughs> I'm doing stories for her news, too. So it's crazy. <laughs> I
1: know I, I am uh, exhausted just uh, hearing you <laughs> you talk about it. Uh, that's why I'm saying I'm always in awe because you and we have a friend called Anaísa who uh, also yeah. Brazilian and the two of them, the their workload is just completely insane. I, I'm going to switch topics a little because I want to go back to the massive topic that is on the Sunsilva Uh but first, uh let's talk about another retirement, uh the retirement that sort of shook the MMA world this week, uh Habib Nurmagomedov. As I assume anybody who listens to the show knows, Habib defended uh the lightweight title against Justin Gaethje on Saturday and then uh retired. It was A little shocking I guess Uh, Habib as we all knew Recently lost his dad And head coach To COVID And he said That he made a promise To his mom To not continue fighting Without his dad Uh, I think we're still All sort of Digesting the news But for me Like in particular The thing that really Stood out About the announcement Was the fact that I think we believed him (laughs) like in MMA we joke that fighter retirements are just a myth Uh, just a few months ago another champion Harry Cejudo retired and the reaction was quite different than with Habib Uh, there's a lot to talk about here but I guess first I wanted your impression uh Evie like first do you also agree with me that this kind of like feels more real than other retirements and how did you react to the news?
0: I agree with you. I think it feels more real because especially when you know K- Habib, you know, and how much uh, he actually honors, you know, his culture and like how much he actually uh, being a man of war in his culture is something that is different from, from us, I guess, you know, in Brazil, especially because you say one thing one day and then the other day is normal <laughs> if you kind of like regretted that <laughs> and decided to go another way, you know. We've seen some fighters that actually retired and came back so many times, like BJ Penn, for example, you know. But mm-hmm. in his case, he feels like he really feels, uh, you know, the death. He's still mourning the death of his father. That was not only his father; it was his hero, his mentor. And it was very difficult for him to actually be there mm-hmm. without knowing that his dad was, you know, physically in this world, ro- in this world, and also with a broken toe, you yeah. know, and all the craziness that he's been through the the past month. So. They're like seeing the way that he actually said goodbye the way that he removed the gloves and how much he was crying, you know, for a man in that culture be crying live on TV, I think is a big deal. So for me, it seems like, you know, he's a man of his world, I th- his word, I think he's probably gonna retire, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, of course we can't know, right? We don't know what's in his heart Mm -hmm. and obviously this is a tough time for him, but just like if one guy, like we can sort of believe that I, that guy is Habib. Another thing that though, like, I feel like was unique to his retirement is that we're so used to just like having to sort of publicly drag people into retirement, right? Like that's the kind of thing we're used to seeing in MMA. Like, uh, a fighter starts sort of quote-unquote declining and we're almost like pleading for them like please stop like that's sort of how the public conversation goes and with Habib like you have a guy who's undefeated who's taken who hasn't really taken any damage inside the cage like I don't think the dude's ever been cut who had the title who defended it multiple times like technically if you want to talk about a perfect retirement that's kind of it and then At the same time, I don't know, it's kind of sad too, right? Like the idea that we won't really get to see this person do everything that they could because he's at his peak, like who knows what else he could achieve. So I don't know, I'm rambling a little bit, but my question here, I think for you, it's super light, not broad at all question is, (laughs) do you think there is such a thing as a perfect retirement in MMA? Well, wow, I I don't know.
0: I was talking about uh, about that with GSP, you know. Uh, he was one of the only fighters I know that actually, you know, did the same thing. Mm-hmm. He was winning. He was there, like, in the peak of his career. He had, like, a very tough fight. He was not going through a lot of good things in his personal life as well. And that made him decide to retire, aqu- along with some other things, I guess. But in that sense, I think they are the only two cases that I can remember, like, of people that actually decided you know, I did everything I could. I did, you know, I did everything my heart set it to me to do. And then I'm going to go along and, you know, be with my family and do these other things. So it's very hard for a fighter to actually retire when he's in the peak, you know, mm-hmm. I think because they never know where where they when they actually will be on the top like they always think that the next fight is going to be better and they will be better in the next one it's very hard most of them just find out that they left the peak when they are already in their way down and i think that's what makes so hard in the sport that's what makes retirement so hard for those fighters
1: yeah right it's almost like there's a perfect moment like right before the decline but how can you sense that moment before (laughs) even going through it, right?
0: It's very hard for them to see that moment because usually when you are on top, you never think like, oh, I'm in my peak. I'm going to start going, you know, downwards now. So I have to stop right now. Otherwise, I'll start losing. You never know. Most fighters just find out too late, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A little bit on, on that topic. Like, what is interesting to me, like I was saying, it feels like we have this public need of pushing fighters into retirement like and we've seen it so many times right we see start to see the signs and it's like we just collectively make that one example for me that comes to mind is uh mauricio shogun shogun uh, mm-hmm. uh mauricio who a brazilian fighter who he's asked about retirement about three times a week even though he's like he's still winning like he's just one of those guys that i think people really push for their retirements and I personally, I'm a little torn with those conversations. Like, I understand that we want to protect people from taking too much damage. And I think it's human that we feel that way. But at the same time, like, these are adults. And this is a totally personal decision that we feel very comfortable making for them. It feels almost invasive uh, sometimes. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that because you are somebody who not only reports on fighters like you really work closely with the fighters you work closely with their families like your work is very much centered around their humanity uh so to speak so how do you feel about the way that we have these conversations like do you think that sometimes maybe we are a little insensitive i think so just because
0: like you know I know that if in our careers, for example, if somebody say, oh, Fernanda, you have to to retire because, you know, mm-hmm. your podcasts are not good anymore. Or like, <laughs> Evelyn, you know, stop doing interviews. It's It's hard to see somebody from the outside telling you what to do. They know their bodies. They know how hard they train, you know. And even though we have like a new generation coming in and you mm-hmm. know how unfair is it to have like a younger fighter, you know, with like new blood, uh, different type of, you know, body and strength and, you know, how this game is evolving so much that before you had fighters coming from, I don't know, jujitsu and then judo and becoming like MMA and learning everything to become an MMA fighter and how today, for example, fighters already are, you know, made into the MMA world, learning everything at once and becoming even like more hybrid, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think what happens today is just like, it's hard for them to accept retirement at, like, what, 40, 45 years old, you know? It's, it's still, like, young in, yeah. other, in all kinds of, like, sports. I don't know. It's just like, oh, my God, I just had this career that is, like, what, 20 years, and then I have to retire. It's a very short window for you to fight and, and to reach your peak. A lot of fighters can't even get to the belt in this in this time, you know? So yeah. I think that's what makes it so hard for them to actually understand because a lot of them still have dreams like,
1: oh, I want to get to the belt. And sometimes they don't even have more time for that. It's, it's very cruel, you know. I agree. And another thing to me, like, uh, like you said, they're sometimes only reaching their peaks. I think it changed a little bit like before fighters would peak a little earlier, like you said, and now it's like. 30 something is kind of like when they're reaching their peak. And then there's a turning point for them where it's like their mind is peaking and their bodies declining. Like I kind of see that, right? Like they're just starting to become mature and just like control their nerves or just really understand themselves as fighters. And then at the same time, their bodies are just going in a kind of a completely different direction because they're human. So I just think that makes it even more cruel not only that, if
0: we think about, you know, science as well, how today they have science behind them to actually Mm -hmm. train smarter, to eat smarter, you know, this is something that they didn't have before. So like once they finally get the help to be like a better athlete, to be able to train harder, to understand their bodies, then they are like, oh, we have to retire now because, you know, (laughs) you are too old for this sport. You can't take that much damage anymore. It's, you know, it's just, uh, I think it's a bittersweet too like cuz they were the ones developing the sport in the beginning you know fighting three fights in the day like without gloves you know taking a lot of damage trying to build the sport up and once they actually get to a point where the sport is recognizable everywhere in the world you know people are looking to the sport as and recognizing it as a sport Because I remember during a long time, people were saying like, oh, this is a brutality. You can't consider this a sport, too much blood and this and that. So once they actually reach that part, that the sport is actually being respected around the world, then you have, you know, (laughs) you have all these people telling them like, oh, you have to retire now because we don't want to see older guys getting beat up. It's it's complicated.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And like on that note, like that's... Uh, Obviously, another big topic for us today uh, with Anderson Silva, because like we said, uh, theoretically, that will be um, his last fight this weekend. He's fighting uh, Uriah Hall on Saturday. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you particularly on this week's podcast is because... I always get asked as a Brazilian, like, what does Anderson Silva mean in Brazil? Like, just how big is he really? And just, again, super chill, not at all broad questions that we can totally answer on behalf of an entire country, but uh, (laughs) just chill. How does the whole country feel about this thing, uh, person? Uh, How can you, can you answer that for us? Uh, But uh, since I'm very nice, I'm going to do the same thing that I hated (laughs) when people did me to you, but... For me, what's interesting considering this conversation, like we kind of have the opposite than what's happening with Habib, right? Like Habib is this guy who's at his peak, like we were saying, who is undefeated. He's retiring if that sticks at 29 29 wins against n- no losses. And in the UFC, yeah. never being hurt. And just now, he lost his first round on a judge's scorecard. So it, it's insane. And then with Anderson, it's kind of the opposite. In terms that we got to see him lose the title, we got to see him get really injured, uh, we got to see him deal with positive doping tests, and we got to see him leave his prime. Really, um, we got to see a decline. So as he leaves the sport, and again, I know this is a big question we can't answer easily, <laughs> but like, how do you generally think that he's going to be remembered? Um, you know, for us in Brazil, like as a big star and as like one of the greats, or. Maybe you think that might be tarnished a little bit.
0: I think he is the Pelé of MMA. You know, Mm -hmm. it's the only way I can put that. I think uh, Pelé is still well-respected in Brazil. People look at him with the aura of a legend. And uh, I think everything Anderson did for the sport is still there. People still remember that kick that he knocked out. Victor Belfort as like if it was yesterday, you know, people still look at him with the aura I know that because every time he is in Brazil, he can walk people are just like, you know crazy about him Uh, I was having that talk last week with other uh, people from America to try to explain like he might be the Michael Jordan of MMA in Brazil, you know, he's like the aura of a legend and uh, even here last week I spent one day with him everywhere we went People would just look. Oh my God, it's Anderson Silva! You know, oh, wow. they don't look at him as like. oh And I was in LA. We had to walk in the street for a bit. We went to a studio to record. People look at him and respect him, and I've, I've seen that look not that many times. Like mm-hmm. I remember in the beginning of my career. I was here for about a year only. It was in 2011 when he actually kicked <laughs> Vitor Belfort <laughs> in that UFC 126. Was my, well, it was my first live event ever, my first MMA event, you know. And after that, I got to go to New York to do like a press trip with his team. He was releasing that um, Like Water documentary in the Tribeca mm-hmm. Film Festival in New York. And like, I would walk with him in the streets, and people would just like be look at him as if he was somebody from another world you know people would yeah. just cry and try to hold his hand and like people would get on their knees and that was the feeling that i had last week and i was walking with him like in la which is the city where he lives At you know it was pretty crazy to still have the aura of like you know a legend walking between us you know it's, it's, it's crazy
1: that's awesome and it's interesting to have that perspective because like i think um, especially for me, because you are out there doing it like you're more on the day-to-day and I'm like very much behind the screen. And I think it's very easy for those of us who are like that to be stuck in the MMA bubble. Like uh, we are looking at the people who are really dissecting the facts of the losses and of the, you know, just just really looking at the numbers and just, and we lose track of what people, regular people on the outside are looking at, right? They're probably no, not, not keeping only- track. <laughs> Not only that, he's training, he's teaching. Like he has
0: like a uh, some private classes with Will Smith and Jason Momoa. You know, like mm-hmm. he has big projects with the the city of LA. A lot of people going there to have private classes with him. A lot of wow. Hollywood celebrities. And this is something that not everybody gets. You know, it's not like yeah. a kind of recognition that people just get like, okay, let me just start training Will Smith for his role or like, oh, let me just prep Walk- Aquaman for his film and then like, nobody, you know, not a big deal.
1: <laughs> cool gig if you can get it though, like I wouldn't mind hanging out with Jason Momoa for a little bit, sorry boyfriend, um, I think I get a pass with Jason Momoa, like, uh, but that's totally beside the point I got sidetracked by my own hormones, <laughs> uh, one thing, but since you had that talk with him and, and that sit down, like, I, I, of course, again, hard to say as somebody from the outside, but like, uh, how do you feel like, where do you think his mind is at? Do you feel like he's at peace with what he's done? Like that he is ready to move on or as ready as they can be? Like, how did you, do you perceive him during that time you guys uh, spent together? I-
0: it feels like he he wanted, like, a big goodbye. He yeah. wanted to have, like, a big fight in Curitiba, his mm-hmm. hometown, with, like, a lot of people around him and, you know, like, DMX singing his way to the octagon, which is something that he deserves. But he mm-hmm. understands that we are, like, in a very tough time. And, you know, um, I think he also feels... He doesn't feel at home anymore with the UFC. You know, he feels like since the fertitas left, he's he's not being treated the same, like the caring for the organization is different. Um, And I, I also feel like he has so many projects right now, like, you know, all the actor future, you know, and then, you know, all the projects that are coming that I was having this conversation with him. How about he feels like that the new generations are just, you know, fighting for money or for, you know, entertainment. They don't have the same values as, you know, the old martial artists. And that's something that he praises a lot. And I also feel like he understands that his body already does not respond the same way. And there is a lot of pressure pressure, uh, from his family, too, for him to actually retire. So I think he kind of made this decision. The UFC made him sign an agreement saying that this is his last fight, even though he had two fights in his contract. So they made him sign an agreement. Uh, And that's why, you know, I think he is retiring, too. Oh, I think agree- it was up to him. I mm-hmm. think if it was up to him, he would have one more fight. But I don't think that is the case right now. I think he's he said to me that he signed this agreement and that this is it. You know,
1: what is? But what does that agreement do in terms of just? Is it so he doesn't go to say another organization? I don't know. He didn't yeah. like really talk about the details. Mm-hmm. I think it's more in case
0: like they they want him to retire. You know, and it's kind of like how I felt. Um, He said that in the interviews with me too, like, there is this agreement, I had to sign it, this is being promoted, and it is my last fight.
1: Okay. Yeah, and it totally makes sense, like, because I think all of us actually really imagined, like, it feels so uneventful, the (laughs) way that we're getting to see what will likely be on this on Silva's last file. Notice that I keep using the language. Like we're just so uh used to not seeing <laughs> retirement stick that again I'm using the likely to be allegedly. But uh I think we all kind of expected it to be like a major thing and or yeah. just a major opponent, some kind of super fight and you know all due respect to to Uriah Hall. Like it's just an opponent that doesn't um no, doesn't I don't know. It's not part of Anderson's history. I think that's where I'm getting at. Like it just feels but, a little anticlimactic, right? At the, at the same time, I don't know how
0: to send away a legend. You know, mm-hmm. how do you do a farewell for a legend at 45 years old? You know, 45 fights. <laughs> it's just like 23 years fighting. <laughs> how do you? You know, it, it feels a little anticlimactic to be like in a Halloween in Las Vegas in a bubble. You know, but at the yeah. same time. Is a type of fight that I think is gonna make Anderson look good. You know, okay. it's a type yeah. of style that I feel like Uriah Hall is gonna try to stand with him. You know, is gonna let him actually have some glimpses of the old Anderson Silva. I think in that sense is is a fight that's gonna look make him look good.
1: You're right. Like they didn't put him against like some wrestler or mm-hmm. <laughs> this guy who was not gonna let him do what. what you know, what we love him for. And I do agree yeah. with you that stylistically, this is uh, an interesting one. And Uriah, if I'm not mistaken, was supposed to be uh Belfort's last UFC opener, yes. right? At one point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, so that's that's one brand for Uriah Hall, I guess. <laughs> uh, now that we've covered the MMA part of things, we can get to the good stuff. <laughs> I talked, <laughs> we talked a bit uh, about your day to day earlier, but um, I guess I wanted to talk about the other super chill, not at all broad topic of being <laughs> a woman in MMA, more <laughs> particularly being a Brazilian woman, which is something I can sort of relate to. Uh, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of "What are the biggest challenges of being a woman in MMA?" Like as oh, if it yeah. was a, <laughs> like a simple <laughs> question that we can just. Answer. I appreciate it because it's nice that people care enough to ask. But at the same time, like it, it's going to take us a couple of days. But I wanted to. Sort to of touch on that. Uh, my first thing you briefly mentioned being there for the belfort Anderson fight, which was in 2011, that was was that your like introduction to uh, working in MMA?
0: Yes, I was in Vegas studying. Like I came from Brazil to Vegas because I used to work uh, as a PR for a company that was a construction company. Like they they actually get, have they represent the retailers you know, the home improvement retailers in Brazil. And then they sent me here to do an English course because I didn't speak English at the time. And then my school was just right across the street from the UFC office, <laughs> which is like, you know, it's something, huh? Location, <laughs>
1: location.
0: Okay, uh, okay, yeah, like faith, right? And yeah. then one day I actually... Um, I actually find out about this fight. They were bringing thirty Brazilians to Vegas, thirty uh, journalists to Vegas from Brazil to actually cover this fight that was being branded at the time as the fight of, fight the, of century. the century remember Mm -hmm. and then uh i actually was invited by a brazilian uh media to cover this fight but i had no idea Uh, (laughs) i didn't know who anderson silva was i knew vitor belfort from a reality tv show that he did in brazil it was like oh my god what's going on so a door opened in front of my eyes and then you know i actually was there for uh the whole fight i i saw the fight from the media role was pretty crazy and after that i was like well, you know, maybe I should look into this sport. Maybe it could be something for my future. Because at the time, they didn't even went back to Brazil. Like, they, they were not back to Brazil yet, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like, I think the last UFC event in Brazil was in the 90s. Yeah, and 98,
1: they were right? plan-
0: Yes, they were planning on going back to Brazil. And then, like, I actually start trying to figure out, you know, what this sport is. They have so many Brazilians. So this might be, you know, something that I could cover in, in the future. And then that was like my actually first event ever.
1: (laughs) That's insane. I was still early too, uh, sort of in my MMA career. I didn't go to that event. I just remember seeing the pictures and it just being like swarming with Brazilian media. It's probably like the most Brazilian media we've seen in a fight abroad to this day. Go ahead and guess. I think so, because
0: like they had all these events for the Brazilian media. So they had José Aldo and Maurício Shogun and Junior Cigano. They are all at their primes at that time. you know. And then I have no idea who anybody was. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, how am I going to cover this? Because I was working for a website at the time that was more like broad, was more like hard news. Yeah. So the questions I was asking those fighters were questions that actually the, the public who doesn't really know MMA probably would understand. So, you know, I got like good views, a good number of views in my stories because of that. And uh, it was pretty insane, though, because I had to ask for help. Like, Anissa that we were talking about was the mm-hmm. one who helped me in the beginning, because I would come to her like, please, I need to figure out who is this person. <laughs> just and help me with the tell, basics. Yeah. <laughs> and she would tell me like, oh, this person is this, this and this. And then I would, with the information she gave me, I would go there and do a little interview. And then, you know,
1: that's how, like, I actually started. It was mm-hmm. wild. <laughs> But what kept you in it, though? I mean, we know that this isn't, like, an easy industry or an easy sport. Like, of course, there is, uh, I guess, some luck and timing and opportunities. At least for me, there was a little bit of that for sure. Like, just being able to get the jobs and the opportunities throughout my career. But uh, I don't know. I think for a lot of us, there's more than that, right? Like, for me, just... I wouldn't. I don't know how I would work with other sports at this point because this one is so rich. We have so many stories and so many characters. It's like, it's always renewing itself in that sense. Um, but for you, like, what was it that you think has kept you in MMA for this long?
0: During my whole career, I always wanted to be a journalist because I always loved to tell stories. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I I actually had that since the beginning, like since my first event ever so many stories with people who overcame crazy like terrible you know difficulties in life to be able to reach the sport to get to the sport and then it was a new sport kind of issue, still you know it's still young <laughs> at yeah. that time it was even younger so it was a sport that was trying to be recognized around the world, that even in Brazil, who was the country that is claimed to be like the, the country that, you know, developed that sport, that was yeah. not as popular. So for me, it was that like, oh my God, I can help these people to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. And there are so many rich stories. And I think that was like, is what kept me in the sport, you know, in the beginning, like a human, I could see the human side, of, the human side of the, the the fighters. And that was something that I knew the public didn't know at that time, you know?
1: Yeah absolutely and i think like uh uh, you for maybe the american audiences aren't that familiar with your work because most of it is directed toward uh the brazilian media but like by all standards like you are a very successful example of a professional in the sport like not that many people can even cover it full time and i think you are just being the person in las vegas distributing all that material to brazil like that's just an undeniably uh big achievement but uh we also know that it took work, a journey to get here. Uh, yeah. and I know this is again the tough question, but like uh, do you feel that like being a woman, being a female journalist made that experience I'm not even going to say worse, uh, I want you to speak in your words in your own words, but do you think that journey for you was maybe different than that of our male colleagues? Uh, I think it actually helps me,
0: Fê. In the beginning, yeah. like, it was hard to get, my, because I started as a freelance, right? So I mm-hmm. would just try to get stories and sell. And at the beginning, the the this area in Brazil, like, you know, the MMA, people who would cover MMA was not that developed. So a lot of editors would look at me and say like, hey, can you send me the 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 stories? But if you don't know what to write, I prefer you to write one good story than writing like 10 stories that, you know, I'm not going to use it. They didn't even know me you know they didn't even know if i had any knowledge of the sport but just because i was a girl covering a sport they were like doubting since the beginning but once i started actually you know doing my job Uh, I had a very good, a a very good vibe with the fighters was something that, you know, would make easier for me because I had a terrible English at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't even ask questions very nicely. You know, (laughs) I remember going like to events and, you know, they would do scrums with the UFC president Dina White and with some other fighters. And I would always be the last one to ask questions because I had a terrible accent. Like people would not understand what I was saying. And my English was not that good. But once they actually understood that I was a Brazilian and I was trying to speak English to, you know, tell their stories, they would be very patient. So being a girl in that moment was good, especially because, like, you know, sometimes you have to ask the worst questions and you have to be like you have to talk about topics that they don't want to talk about it and we have a different way of approach sometimes you know those questions we are not directly to the point we also can figure out ways to to it's a little different the way that they you know they look at you and at that point I think it was something that started helping me to get the better stories I started like looking to their families and was able to go to the training camps and like they actually welcomed me like very in a very nice way you know and uh i think being a girl in that moment made this easier it's different than guys because i felt like at that time guys were always the tough dudes you know trying to ask the cute or like the not the cute questions sorry trying to ask like the smart questions and you know grab get, like get all the attention and I was trying to just be me and, you know, tell the stories and I was not looking only for breaking news, you know, I didn't want to, I was not like, oh, I need to do this breaking news because it's more important for my career and this or that. No, I just wanted to tell the stories in a good way. And, and I think they got the message, like, since the beginning, since the first time I spoke to some fighters, and, you know, they, they actually embraced me.
1: Uh, Just for everybody listening, Evelyn is generally like a sunnier person with a better outlook in life than I am. (laughs) So there's that. Uh, (laughs) uh, It's interesting, like at first I, today, like at first I felt, um, and I talked about this before, like when I was first breaking in that being a woman um, was good because I sort of stood out. After a few years, I started not feeling that way anymore because I started (laughs) kind of feeling like, uh, I was really very much put in competition with other women, you know, like I kind of felt that throughout mm. my career, like everything was posed. Well, I obviously felt bad because um, I think we, we, the three of us, you and me and Anna, we sort of grew together in the sport. So we had each other to sort of look at, but outside, like, I felt like for some, the obvious, like there should be more women doing things period. But at the same time, like, you know, just sort of that feeling that, if there was a spot and me and a woman were there, like we were both running for that same spot instead of necessarily like having the men and as competition too, nobody should be nobody's competition. But you know what I mean? Like it felt like there was one room for the woman and then the rest was the rest. Like, I don't know. Have you I- ever felt that way? I think so. I think in the beginning, though, was different for me. Because, like, I remember
0: when I first started, it was just me, Karen Bryant, and Megan levy Yeah. And maybe one, I think Joyce was also uh, working as a reporter, and then she moved into production. But mm-hmm. that, was, that was it, you know? So we kind of bound together since the beginning. Because, like, we would help each other, you know? And it, it usually... With the guys, you don't see guys helping other guys in America. At least I know in Brazil is a different culture. Yeah, people usually help each other, but in America you don't. Okay. They look at each other as competitors. So they don't help each other, and that was a different sense between me and the girls. You know. Mm-hmm. And we always helped and respected each other it, it, since like the beginning. The first, the first events I was going, I was actually uh, bonding more with them. But as you know, time progressed, and like you know, other girls start covering the sport. In Brazil, we had already girls opening the doors, you know, and mm-hmm. Anaïsa was one of them. Yeah. Um, and they actually helped to to pave the way for me to be able to do my job. But I felt sometimes like the uh, yes, if you have like. Oh, you're gonna have one color commentator that is a girl you have like six spots but one is a girl it's not we don't have enough spaces Mm -hmm. for women you know it's not like balanced so they've they have to fight for the same spots and i think the industry uh ends up putting you against each other to compete for the same spot that you want to get you know there is a space for everybody we know that but you know there is only one spot as a color commentator there is only one spot as a host or these, are, you know it's so i think in that sense i feel that they put us against each other more because guys they have more spots so you know yeah. even though they don't help each other that much they kind of like don't look they, they have more chances to become what they want and for yeah. us it's hard and especially for me because like i never really tried to pursue a career internationally like in america Mm-hmm. As a reporter, because was always also you know the accent part of it. You know, mm-hmm. I am from Brazil. I'm Latina, and there's a lot of other things that add on top of like what you do best. You know, so I guess if I was looking for a producer spot, it would be easier for me to gain. Yeah, but like uh, as a reporter, is something that no, no way you 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 know you don't fit the standard. You can't be this or that, and that's why I think I, I start. Wor- I, I think was not even like a, a something that I thought about it at, at that time. I thought like, yeah. oh, I can tell all these stories to Brazil. Like I can figure out how to make them know what's going on here, and that's mm-hmm. what I I wanted to do. But today, looking back, you know, I think I never crossed my mind the possibility of trying to to become a reporter here. You know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you did mention like Karen and, and Megan, but one one thing that is. Uh, Interesting to me that you said uh, was how much like and we've uh been together in a different podcast where we sort of talked about these experiences but like uh one thing that you mentioned was that your girls like your female reporters were helping each other out uh early on and I had the same experience with you guys and I had like just such a positive um community in the few women that were in this space that I think it just really goes against sort of this myth that we are naturally competitive. I think like Mm -hmm. there is this idea, right? That we're like catfighting, that women are trying to like sort of uh, pull the rug from under each other. And I just love that I've seen everything contradicting that over the years. Of course, some people are going to be competitive and ketty and petty, but that's people. <laughs> like I've yeah. seen a lot of community uh, in the sport too. Uh, but while we're, we're, another thing that you touched on, on sort of just, I think not just the number of opportunities, but because it feels like the space for us is a little limited. I personally feel like there's like less room for error, right? Like as women, we sort of need to be really on top of our game uh, on everything mm-hmm. we do because the just we're lo- being looked at more closely. And also, like for me in particular, I just always feel like that pressure to be like, no, you're not just letting yourself down; you're letting like all of womankind down. <laughs> if you fuck this up, uh, my question for you: How has your experience been in that sense? Like, do you sort of feel like maybe you had more expectations, or just like? that, you know, you you had that extra pressure to be good? Um, or no, do you feel like we have just pretty much the same experiences across the board?
0: I, I think I had that pressure of like, you have to be good. But mm-hmm. I think for me, I was looking at that at that point because I was like, I was really, I was a student who got sponsored by a company to become a journalist in another country with yeah. a language <laughs> that I didn't speak in a country that I didn't know very well and a sport that I had no idea what it was. So, like, I had enough pressure <laughs> in the beginning, you know, and I was like, I need to make this work because, like, I was supposed to go back to Brazil after a year to keep working construction, you know, like, with the building, the home improvement stores, I was not even going to open this door, you know. Yeah. So, I was like, if I'm doing this, it needs to, it needs to happen, like, it, it, I need to make it right, I need, I need to do it in the right way, yeah. and so I put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. and thank god i found a lot of angels around the way you know (laughs) along the way like you know some a lot of people that actually helped me to understand better the sport and to actually helped me to understand what i could do and that once i got that security i was like okay i can do this Mm -hmm. and then i think i started thinking about like oh i'm a girl and then there is there is this and there is that you know Mm -hmm. the obstacles that are in front of me but in the beginning it was more like Jesus, like, (laughs) you know, I'm a Brazilian speaking English in a country that people don't understand, like my accent. And I still have to tell the stories and interview the fighters and try to see if this is going to be something for my future. And I'm glad I actually did that. And one thing that I did like right in the beginning was like trying to bond with the wives, you know, like the mm-hmm. fighter's wives and trying to understand their lives outside the octagon, trying to understand their families and their routines. And and that helped me a lot to understand the whole thing, not only, mm-hmm. you know, why that fighter used to say this or that or, you know, the way that he acts or reacts and it helped me to understand that person as a whole thing and that yeah. made, made me actually be able to use that in my mm-hmm. favor, you know. So, again, women helping women because their wives were the ones opening the doors for information that the yeah. fires would not let me get, you know.
1: <laughs> and there's the other side of that too, right? Like, you also kind of have to um, make sure to form those bonds. Otherwise, people are just going to assume terrible things about your motives and what you're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like especially the something in the beginning, because
0: t- mm. like I was so um, you know I was I was younger mm-hmm. and I was also like I would not I would not think too much you know I was working because like like explaining where I came from okay construction in Brazil is a sector that is like really really male dominated yeah. you know it's nine nine percent of men and one percent of women and I was that one percent there doing like communication and I was always like I knew my way around them yeah so the difference is like they are older guys with a lot of money you know and I knew how to how to get the things I needed and how to get respect and when I transferred that to the MMA world it was a different thing because you know younger fighters and like you know sometimes we have all the testosterone of the fighters <laughs> together you know <laughs> so I was kind of like how do I protect myself but you know you were Sometimes we're dumb enough to, I I had to go to the rooms, for example, to do interviews in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I would not think about it like as a threat. Oh, my God, I'm getting to this final room and Mm -hmm. something can happen to me, you know, until one day that actually somebody opened the door wearing a towel or somebody (laughs) tried to flirt with you in some other way. And then you're kind of like, oops, there is a red flag here. Yeah. Uh, What else can I do to not let this happen, you know? so you have to actually find your way around it's Mm. something that probably the guys don't go through
1: yeah that's (laughs) what I was gonna uh, say right like this is a concern (laughs) that is so typically ours that I think our male colleagues probably don't even stop to think about it
0: no but that happened really in the beginning I think after a while you know uh, th- that that type of thing never happened again mm-hmm. and i think because i actually actually had bonds with their wives and the families you know mm-hmm. they started looking at me as a friend not yeah. as a snack i
1: guess <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah no i absolutely understand that it's like and on the one hand, again, the clash in our personalities really comes through here. Like you're looking at it on the bright side. I think it's bullshit that we have to worry about that. But it's true that we do, right? Like it's just, it's really unfortunate. But I think there is so much that we have to just put into, like, to consider, uh, even when we, like, in the very basic things that we do, right, for a job, even the way that we appear on camera. Like he has. Oh, yeah. Right, (laughs) an extra layer of concern that maybe, um, not maybe, like certainly, our our, some of our colleagues just don't even have to think about. Yeah, I
0: I see a lot of people like you know a lot of my friends. Because the thing is, since I'm based in Vegas, and then once I got promoted as to to be like the actual international correspondent Mm -hmm. Uh, for me it was not as hard as for other people that i I saw like leading up the way you know sometimes where like they couldn't even be on tv they would not be acceptable you know time changed so much that today Mm -hmm. like anyone can be a reporter anyone could do if you're good enough you're gonna find your 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 spot you know uh i had friends that actually started this in brazil and they they didn't even have, they couldn't be on camera. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to, you know, do stuff like change the color of their hair, use like, uh, you know, yeah. I don't know, surgeries or whatever lose to be weight, able to look like... better, lose weight, stuff like that. It never happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm fortunate because of that. And I think once I was already in Vegas, you know, that kind of like helped a lot because like I'm already here. Yeah. So if they wanted to have, they didn't have to send somebody here. I was already here working with that, so you know, it opened the door just the fact that I was in another country working with this. But yeah. I know that especially my friends who work like covering a soccer in Brazil. Oh yep. my god. Like the how amount was that I have you to that. put up with <laughs> ugh, I can't even tell you about like how I, when they tell their stories to me, I just feel like, oh my God, I'm so fortunate,
1: you know. <laughs> uh yeah, it was that was actually cause I sorry I interrupted you, but I was gonna ask you that because uh, I think again, we're in the bubble and I think that MMA has this sort of reputation for being toxic for damn good reason, but like uh I- Something I wonder and that I have been asked and I don't really know how to answer it, but like, I don't think it's an MMA thing. Like, do you feel like MMA and the fandom of MMA is necessarily more toxic or, you know, looking at soccer and other things, like, do you feel like maybe, you know, that's not necessarily the the... I feel
0: soccer is way worse, for because like you have the, the so many teams and people are cheering for their team. So if you say something bad about this team, like there is the whole internet like canceling you, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think in MMA at least you have two fighters fighting in that spot, and mm-hmm. if you say something like, "Oh, I think this guy won," and they think that the other one won, it's kind of like it's is it's not it's not as broad as soccer. You have to be a specialist in the team and everything that is happening, and like they have to deal with you know being stadiums filled with guys telling them they're dumb they don't know what they're they're talking about and things like that in mma like I, I reported from so many arenas never had had anything like that happen to me never had any problems with like fans calling me this or that you know yeah they come to take pictures with you sometimes they <laughs> they, they come to praise you is i tell you like i know that for us when we think about like oh your girls and the things of that the amount of things that we have to put up with because we are women sometimes sucks. But if when I compare myself to other girls, you know, working in soccer, for example, but yeah. like, I just feel fortunate. It's just like, oh my god, they they have to deal with so many bullshit. That is just like so much bullshit. That is is insane.
1: Oh, I know. Like you, there's a commentator in Brazil for. You know, for you guys, uh, Evelyn, who no, so she, <laughs> she is, uh, Ana Thais, like, she sort of became very present, right, in Brazilian television talking about soccer. And, like, I would go on the replies of her tweets and just be so sad. Oh, my sad. God, yeah. Just so sad. And I think it's also yeah. a matter of just amount, right? Like, we think of MMA, uh, but then we compare it to the fandom of soccer and just... It's so tiny it's, in Brazil yeah. in comparison, right? Like a regular soccer reporter in Brazil is gonna have so many more followers on Twitter. Like if you're covering a team, a, one of the big teams, than us, that I feel like just in also a matter of numbers. I think the passion too, like you said, and the numbers just makes it even more overwhelming for them. I mean, I personally look at it. I'm like, I could never deal with this bullshit. <laughs> like, it's too much. No,
0: And we have a colleague, Anaisa, who became like a color commentator now. She's, you know, comment analyzing fights. She's Mm -hmm. the first, like, besides Kira Gracie, I think she's the only woman to do that in Brazil. And now that she became, before she was a reporter, now she's a color commentator. Mm -hmm. She has to deal with a lot of people criticizing because of the she saw this or that fight, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fight is live happening and she gives her opinion. They don't agree with her, so they go on Twitter to say stuff to her um but it is again two fighters that in that moment people don't agree or agree and that's it like in brazil if you said something about a team that they don't agree even though it's true sometimes you know yeah. the whole <laughs> the whole entire fandom of that team is gonna come against you and they treat you with like crazy threats too
1: it's it's hard <laughs> you uh, recently, like, I remember, so you recently, RT, like, uh, wasn't RT, like, you mentioned a comment, um, like a, a person was complaining or saying something about your accent, right? Like, or something like that. And I remember just, you were... Again, people, Evelyn is a better person than I am. She was sort of like (laughs) taking it in stride, just made a comment about like, hi, hey, like, get over it. I have an accent. But like, I was so pissed for you. I was just legitimately angry. Like, this woman is like doing live translating on television, which, by the way, is insane. I don't understand how you do it. It's like magic. And then (laughs) she's doing all of this and you guys are going online and Stopping your days to say nasty things about her perfectly fine accent that doesn't risk your comprehension at all. I was so pissed, like, but you seem to be okay with it. Like, how how do you deal with the occasional, like, online negativity? Like, does it get to you at all? Sometimes it does,
0: like, you know, depending on who is fighting who, I get a lot of people talking shit about Brazil and how I have to go back to my country oh, when great. I'm in America and stuff like that, you know? Uh, at the same time, I get a lot of people talking about accents, and it, it's funny, you know, I'm going to ask, que- that people don't know that I write in, in Portuguese all the time, and I have to do my interviews in English and translate to Portuguese live on TV, you know, that I report in Portuguese, so I speak a lot of Portuguese, although I live in Las Vegas, and I've been in the US for over 10 years now, mm-hmm. so it's it's hard sometimes, my brain sometimes starts saying things backwards, you know, in English, because I spoke too much, like this morning, I was talking in Portuguese two hours ago for two hours. And then like d- giving an interview in English sometimes makes my brain like, uh, uh, like fried a little bit. Yeah. But it, it is what it is. Like I have an American husband who speak English all the time. And yeah. he tells me sometimes like, Oh, it doesn't make sense. Whatever you're saying right now doesn't make sense. So I understand like, Oh, too much Portuguese today. <laughs> but this happens. And people like, I, I, you know, I want, I I want to like kill somebody when they talk about McKenzie Darren's accent. Oh. It's like, If you are in a house, (laughs) living with your husband that is Brazilian, talking Portuguese 24 hours a day, and then you have to go back to English, even though it's your first language, you're going to have some accents or sometimes that is not going to make sense, you know? I'm (sighs) like that all the time so oh. I understand her but like when people start saying things like that there's like all this crazy you know theory about her I was just like oh my god guys just get over
1: oh man <laughs> this is uh, this has become like my internet crusade I every <laughs> chance I get I, I yell at people talking about Mackenzie's accent for the exact same reasons because they're like oh back in high school like she didn't have this accent back in high school she was around <laughs> high schoolers speaking English all day <laughs> your life is entirely <laughs> different she's now home with a a. a portuguese speaking husband uh,
0: no and, and sometimes like when i ask questions in interviews they the comments like in the, in the you know the press conference like oh mackenzie dern is asking questions now <laughs> they're uh, calling me mackenzie dern <laughs>
1: oh i've had like oh her accent is better than mackenzie's <laughs> just what is your weird obsession and i absolutely yeah. understand like i think unless people experience it they don't understand the language confusion like i obviously am brazilian too and i'm currently like Quote unquote living with my boyfriend in Mexico City, uh, who is Mexican, but I don't speak Spanish and he doesn't speak Portuguese. So we are all day speaking in English and I'm writing in English and just like existing in Portuguese, sort of in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> it gets super freaking confusing and i just encourage yeah. everyone on the internet like usually i'm pretty sure people who say that don't speak multiple languages because they would know that the struggle oh. is very real no
0: yeah and sometimes <laughs> you know it's just it's just a thing of like i'm not i learned english when I was, I was actually 27 years old so you know i spent 27 years speaking only portuguese like how can i just don't have an accent you know <laughs> Yep. It doesn't work that way, guys. Sorry. Uh,
1: I guess I've already taken up so much of your time. Uh, but my it's last good. sort of question here, I'm going back to my feminist ranting, of course. Well, no, just a little bit. I'm just pushing <laughs> my feminist agenda a little bit. Uh, no, I just, you touched on like uh, how things were when you first started, when I first started versus how they were now. Like uh, we had Kira as a commentator in Brazil, now Naissa. And of course we see, uh, I think... Uh, first of all, so many great female athletes, right? And so many uh, women champions who are just so good at what they do that they have become undeniable. Like, to me, the biggest examples, of course, are Amanda Nunes, who is the uh, double champion the UFC. I think she's still the double champ. I might be confused. But last time I said she, checked, is, she yeah. was way, then bentoweight. And, <laughs> and uh, Cyborg, of course, Chris Cyborg at and Bellator. And, but, and then we have, like, in journalism, uh, you... Like we were saying, Anna, Karen, Brian, Megan, O'Levy, Laura Senko. Uh, I'm not even mentioning Invicta because they're an all-female promotion, but they have uh, obviously Shannon App and and uh, as the CEO and Julie Kedzie, a former fighter, as a commentator. So uh, Esther Lynn just recently retired, but a, a major, like one of the best photographers, combat sports photographers ever, in my opinion. But uh, so when we look, I think at the announcers, the table of commentators, uh, even like looking around, right. The refs, uh, just the people buzzing around the cage and the CEOs, and I guess the most visible people behind the major promotions. I personally still think that the sport has sort of a male look like in a way it's, it looks like a product made for just like straight men. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, just first of all, like, how do you, evaluate the landscape in terms of just uh, the participation of women in the sport right now. And, um, do you feel like it's getting better? Like, are you optimistic about that? I agree
0: with you. I think we could have more girls w- working, you know, around the cage, not only inside the cage, mm-hmm. uh, judges, you know, and all, everything. Right. Cause I th- I feel like we have a lot of good, uh, good athletes, but I also feel like women, it's hard for them to actually, Uh, have this career you know they have to they they have to struggle a lot because they have their families they sometimes if they want to have kids they have to stop the career for a while and then come back so it's still like you know it's hard for them they don't have all the the help they could to to be uh, an athlete, for example, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's harder for them to actually be able to get money from the career, you know, mm-hmm. to to live only uh on the career, on everything that they do inside the octagon. You have very good fighters, for example, like I think Michelle Waterson. Until not that long ago, she she was teaching and you know be having having to. You know, have her kid and teach her kid and then is struggling mm-hmm. with giving like classes in the gym and then being able to fight. So it's still harder for women to get sponsors and, mm-hmm. and to be able to leave from the sport, Um not only as an athlete, but I think in all the fields. I feel that sometimes, but I also feel it's getting better, you know. Yeah. Um if you look for, for, if you look right now, you, you mentioned all the the, the girls uh, working on media. I think we are having more and more people, more girls, being interested too in in be able to, you know, to to be a journalist. For example, I receive a lot of messages in my Instagram and social media from girls who are in college were trying to become a reporters and want to cover the sport and they ask for help and like and for tips and how do they do this or that and that was something that you could, I wouldn't imagine like 10 years ago, you know, uh, you have a lot of uh, people there that, that wants to become like judges, I, I think I'm, I met two students in Abu Dhabi actually. Uh um they were working and in the organization and they were like oh we are studying to be judged so i think you have more women trying to Mm -hmm. to get into the sport to breaking into the bubble you know and i think that is the first first part of it because like fighters we always had great fighters you know since the the beginning like cyborg amanda and all the other girls who actually started you know um were the ones that, that actually we the first ones to actually break into the bubble. But I think in the other areas, it's still like we, we are getting more girls trying to break into this part right now. So I think in the future, we will see more women in the sport. And uh, I, I can tell that just based on how many girls today are looking for MMA gyms and are trying to, you know, do MMA somehow or, mm-hmm. you know, learning more about the sport. That's something that is growing a lot, including in Brazil, you know? You have yeah. more girls trying to do fights and I think that helps you to actually understand this part better and to find a new passion, you know? Yeah. I
1: mean optimism. That's uh in rare d- <laughs> 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 that's not something that people will come across very often in this podcast. So I think we should cherish it in a way, like just even the <laughs> way that these conversations that I'm still having like are so like framed in such binary terms are proof of just how much we still have to evolve in conversations but like i'm sort of with you in that i'm encouraged uh by how willing we are now to have certain discussions that we didn't have before like i agree and say
0: i'm optimist because uh, i'm an optimistic sorry mm because see you like my english is already getting crazy but um (laughs) it's more because like i Everything the way that everything happened in my life, if you know if I didn't have this this way of looking to things, I think I will not make it. yeah, and uh, you have to look for the bright side sometimes to be able to pass through and to reach your goals. you know, um, I know we have a lot to evolve. I think we have a lot to evolve in everything in this sport, mm-hmm. you know, um uh, the way that women get paid, you know, how much uh, spots they have to actually try to to get to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, a- everywhere, I think we have to evolve a lot, but th- this is a very new sport too, if you compare to mm-hmm. the other ones, you know, and uh, I think it's evolving. I think if you look in the past 10 years, at least is like what I've been covering in the sport, mm-hmm. uh, how long I've been covering the sport, you know, you can see already how much it changed. And I think mm-hmm. it, it will keep changing. We just need to have good women, like women coming and getting into and breaking into the bubble because I, I feel like they will make this happen. You know, we, we need this. We, we usually support each other and uh, it's something that we see that is it, not very common, you know, in other, uh, between the male guys, I, I'm telling you, because I have seen this so many times, you know, so I think, I think we will evolve.
1: Awesome. Yeah, the- it will take time. But- yeah. <laughs> true. That's true. And, um, I guess cautious, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic like you in certain ways haven't been around for as long as I haven't. I guess we might as well end on that rare bright note, uh, let Evie go do her hundreds of thousands of things while I go not do them at all. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Evie, anything you want to plug or any of your work or anything that you want to point us to?
0: Well, oh, uh, you know, it's hard here in America because everything I do goes to Brazil you know but uh,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> some of the interviews are going uh, on combate.com if mm-hmm. you want to check some things are on my Instagram at Vavi Rodriguez and uh, I try to to do a little bit in English sometimes but it's very hard for because it's so much work already in Portuguese you know and it's hard to keep like writing in English and you know trying to explain everything but thank you so much it's very special for me to be here today talking about my work and a little bit of you know my my experience with you uh you are somebody that I always look up to you know since we we first met and uh, it's very good to have people like you giving voice to us because sometimes like you express everything in a very good way and like sometimes I look at your podcast and I hear things and like I see the way you write things on social media and I was like oh I would not be able to summarize or to <laughs> exp- express myself like she did so I'm very grateful to to be able to call your friend and you know to to see your work as well because I think you 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 put light you help to to bring the light to a lot of questions that we most of the time it's because we are busy we can you know we don't remember to to shine the light in, in the spots and you do that very well thank you
1: Oh, I will cry uh, but <laughs> before I start that again thank you so much thank you for this like it really does mean a lot um, and thank the rest of you for listening for bearing with me for another week uh, I'm your host Fernanda Prates and this has been the best camp of my life I see you, I will see you all next Wednesday